Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, hosting as always, my name's Dan and I'm joined today by Paul. Good evening. And Calm. Evening. Uh, how are you gents, are you good? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yourself, Dan? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, I'm actually pretty tired, Khan, for two reasons. Number one, I enjoyed the Liverpool and Manchester United game. Uh, as I know both of you did, but more on that in a minute. And I actually stayed up late watching NFL, which was a bit of a disaster, really. Um, all in all, with the, the two experiences combined, uh, I'm, I'm pretty tired. And, Fair uh, enough. Well, that, that, that's the NFL for you, mate. I I, I, I avoid it like the plague. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I stayed up until the two-minute warning, Dan, at which point it was clear Tom Brady had won, and uh, I went to bed. Um, but like you, I did as a not as a Saints fan, but um, Drew Brees has been my favourite non-Buffalo Bill in the NFL for a long time, um, and it was pretty sad to see him go out with, you know, four turnovers and and looking kind of looking like the wall that hit him very fast. It tends to with the great ones in the NFL uh, when the wall hits, there's no sort of slow decline. It just hits like a like a brick. And um, I think that's what happened to Drew last night. Uh, I hope he enjoys his retirement. He's been great fun to watch. Uh, yeah, it's Brewdrees. Drew Brees is my favourite ever uh, NFL player, and I'm I'm sad to see him go. Um, but this isn't an NFL podcast. This is a football podcast, and unfortunately, we've got football to talk about. Um, yet again, Sky and the super supreme sensational Sunday failed to deliver a dismal game of football. Um, this is the third time in five years Liverpool and Manchester United has finished in a nil-nil draw at Anfield. Uh, whilst this wasn't a Jose Mourinho nil-nil special, it was pretty grim. Um, two teams, too afraid to lose. Um, Liverpool are bang out of form. Manchester United were a little bit too timid. Had a couple of spells where they had a go. I thought nil-nil was a very fair result. It was a very unfair, and everyone who had to watch it. Um, but yeah. Um, Yet again, a game is overhyped and we have Roy Keane and Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher and everyone on board and they've got nothing to talk about because, quite frankly, not a lot happened, did it really? <laughs> yeah, I um, I mean, I, obviously you and Con have vested interests on opposite sides of this game, Dan, but I'll go first as a neutral and say it was the only game I watched yesterday. I didn't, I didn't watch the other games. I was a little bit more focused on the NFL build-up, if I'm honest. Um, but I did watch the whole of uh, Liverpool versus Manchester United, which is 90 minutes of my life. I'll never get back. Um, <laughs> it was pretty dreary. I also watched it. At, I didn't do it intentionally, but I, I put it on originally on the wrong channel. So I was on the Premier League channel with the, the no fake uh, crowd noise. And it, it felt very much like watching a non-league game. Um, not just because you could hear every shout. Uh, and and there were some balters in there, uh, you know. Don't let him out was one, which which is a classic non-league shout. And there were a couple of others as well uh, that that I heard um, during the game, but it it was just not very entertaining. I thought it got better actually in the last fifteen twenty minutes um, when it almost looked like both teams thought, oh, it's it's worth a bit of a gamble now. Um, but before that, I, I thought United came with a, a relatively sort of counter-attack heavy game plan 
Liverpool are struggling to, to play with much imagination and much tempo in the in the final third, and it just made for not particularly spectacular viewing, um, despite Sky hyping it up. And you know, on, on this occasion, I kind of understand Sky hyping it up. It's a long time since United have been, you know, actively in a title race as we hit the new year. And I know we're a few games behind because we started late, but it's a while since that's been the case. It's Man United, Liverpool. It's first versus second. On this occasion, I'm almost willing to give Sky a pass for building it up as big as they did. Um, but unfortunately, the game did disappoint. Yeah, it, it did. I mean, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great by, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I don't know if actually I thought it was like quite as bad as, as I think you, you two have been, been quite scathing about it since then. I think, you know, there, there was a decent amount of sort of attacking play, but it was almost like... Because, you know, sometimes these games are just played right in the midfield and they're really, really dull. And I don't think this was like that. I think actually, and actually this is where our favourite friend, the, the stats start to come in. And if you look at, you know, sort of corners and offsides and chances, there, there were actually quite a high, a high volume from, from both sides, um, which suggests there was, you know, some, some you know, attacking going on. But it, like I don't think either team's sort of forward line really seemed to have the head in the game at all, you know, for, for, you know, for Man United, you know, Martial's having a, a really funny season. Obviously he got taken off. Um, you know, Fernandez had an off day, which I think generally Fernandez has an off day. United have an off day. Um, and I think you can definitely sort of see that uh, yesterday. Um, although Paul Pogba did play quite well, um, for, for, which is always nice to see, but, um, and, and very nearly, uh, clinched it for us, but but didn't. Um, and I think, yeah, for for you know Liverpool's forward line, you know, a lot was made of what is it four, three or four games now without scoring or something, which seems ridiculous because you've been you know such a free flowing attacking side under Klopp for the last three years. Um, so clearly, there's something up there with with the forward line at Liverpool. So it was, I think there was lots of intent, just not much execution. Um, which meant, yeah, well, overall it, it didn't quite live up to, and it was probably never going to live up to the amount of hype that that, that Sky gave it. Um, so, yeah, I think the overwhelming sort of sense from United's perspective is, is a bit of a missed opportunity because we went into it in really good form and it was a weakened Liverpool team. And, you know, even though perhaps that wouldn't maybe have given us a normal bragging right because it's not two full-strength teams against each other, it would have been, you know, a great opportunity to end that that unbeaten run that you've got at Anfield that stretches back, you know, I think till the time of cavemen um, now, because it's, it's been so long. Well, when um, we you know, retired last week, Cam. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I think you could see it in, in sort of Solskjaer's post-match. I think he felt it was perhaps, yeah, a bit of a missed opportunity. And there was something that might have been Gary Neville, one of the, the commentators said that it felt like United was sort of playing the reputation and not the team on the pitch. And I think there's perhaps a bit of truth to that. Um, but you know, it, it is what it is, you know, a point overall based on how the team did actually play was fair. Um, and ultimately, you know, as we, as we've said before this, uh, it, it really isn't actually that important a game in terms of how the season's going to shape up. It's too close between too many teams that it really wouldn't have made any difference. Like Man United could have won yesterday and still finished fifth. You know, that is not an outrageous scenario that could happen this season. So it wouldn't have actually meant anything despite all the, you know, the sky hype about it. Um, it's just there's too many games left and the points are too close, um, as we've as we've said before on, you know, on this programme. So um, I, I don't think it, it really made, other than, like I say, a bit of bragging rights, I, I don't think it made would make a great deal of difference um, in terms of context for the, for the league. Because I think there's just still 
way too many variables um including you know is as we talked about last week is you know is the season going to stop or pause or continue i think there's there's you know way too early to call any sort of wins at the moment um so i think yeah we just all just forget it ever happened move on to the next game which will be in about six minutes time based on how this season is and just just carry on from there um i think just any thoughts on liverpool i mean i don't know what's going on i mean i know you've got injuries but it feels like you just lost a bit of belief more than anything because you don't have a bad team out there. You know, you've still got some pretty good players and something just isn't, isn't clicking. Um, and actually as, 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 you know, as it got mentioned yesterday, you, even though the, the, the sort of the, the players that are out, you know, obviously Van Dyke being the main one are in defense, your defense hasn't been that bad, but like I say, it's at the moment, the goals have dried up, um, which is, is perhaps arguably, you know, more of a concern really, because that's actually the reason you're dropping points. So, I'm not sure what's going on there, but I don't know, Dan, if you want to jump in, I'm sure you've got, in fact, I know you've got some thoughts on it. I've got a few a few things. Uh, I mean, in, in his post-match yesterday, uh, Jürgen basically said, I don't know what the problem is. I've got a few thoughts. Um, firstly, the, 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 the potent front three, it's not happened in his time at Liverpool yet, but it has now. All three of them are out of form at the same time. It's normally yeah. a case of if one of them doesn't get you, one of the other two will. Um, Roberto Firmino is is in a, a, he's not in a rut. He's in a, a, a valley, a crevice, a, a canyon. You know, I, I am genuinely very concerned about him. Um, we do miss Diego Yotta, who came in, um, scored a number of, of good goals. Um, so losing him has been a bit of a blow. Um, for me, the the biggest problem we have is, and in the game yesterday, I didn't think that we. I don't think we played badly, certainly, but we we did play with a lack of imagination. I think the biggest problem we have is that basically we've not we've not just lost our first choice defence. We've lost our first choice midfield because two of them are playing in defence. Um, <laughs> now Fabinho is. Uh, I, I'm probably going to get laughed at here. For me, for being has been the best centre-half in the country this season. I think he's been absolutely outstanding since he moved there. But I don't want him there. Fabinho was at his best at the back of a midfield, sniping long-range passes, nicking the ball, starting transitions. Jordan Henderson starting transitions, pressing, chasing, harassing, and um, setting the tempo. That's what Henderson does the best. Press, 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 chase, 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 harass, harass, harass. And we, we're losing that in our midfield. So for me, I think Jürgen's made a calculated decision yesterday to, to stick Henderson at centre-half. And you know what? He was largely untroubled, apart from the odd moment here or there. I think we were largely untroubled full stop. So after half an hour, I'm thinking, you know, like, why have we not started Nat, Nat Phillips or, or Reese Williams? Yes, it's a big game. But, you know, like, I, I don't see what, it would have achieved. No, I don't. I don't see what we would have lost by having either of those two lads at centre half alongside Fabinho and let Henderson go in midfield and really get really upset Manchester United. Getting press, press, press. That's what that's what he does. And Henderson's so much more than that. But he gets us going. And when he's not playing, I think we really miss him. And yeah, he did. He, him and Fabinho were, were, as I say, largely untroubled. So that that for me is the biggest problem. Our midfield 
sets the pace and we've not got our first choice midfield out there. We still have a very, very good midfield. I mean, some of the, the, the one-on-one moments that Thiago had, I think, I can't remember who it was, but someone had to go and, and pay ticket money to get back in. He, he absolutely, I think it might have been Luke Shaw, who otherwise had an excellent game. Um, you know, Thiago absolutely went past him as though he wasn't there. Um, you know, like we, we we had a good enough team out to, to do well. And as I say, I don't think it was a bad performance. Was it a bit toothless? It, it was, yeah. But that's three games in a row we've not scored in now, and we we really did labour in the one-all draw with West Brom before uh, before Christmas as well. So, no, sorry, it was in between Christmas and New Year. We were pretty poor in that game as well. Just everyone's out of form all at the same time, and that's not happened yet. And we need to fix it. I don't think Yotta's back for another few weeks yet. So. Um, yeah, you're right, Khan. I did have some thoughts. <laughs> I, I, I think I think the Henderson point's a really good one, Dan. I, I do think there's some legs in that, um, not to sort of uh, use, use a pun intentionally, I, but I think they do miss Henderson's legs in midfield. I think they miss his energy. They miss that sort of, that, that starting point that he gives in terms of the tempo and, and both in the way that he presses and in the way that he moves the ball quickly. Because while Jordan Henderson's, you know, a, a decent footballer, I think he knows he's not, you know, he isn't Santi Cazorla playing in the middle of midfield. What he does, he gets it and he passes it really simply to the, the you know, the next teammate in a, in a red shirt and he starts the momentum of the move that way. And I think... Um, I think Liverpool do miss him without in midfield. It looks a little bit laboured without him. Um, I thought it was interesting yesterday that they decided to start Shakiri. I think that's a almost an admission from Jurgen Klopp that he's struggling for creativity. So he's put he's put a guy who is really a kind of you know when he was at his best earlier in his career, either a creative player kind of playing as an inside forward or as a number ten uh, in his three in midfield. Um, but he didn't create a great deal of spark. I thought Liverpool were a bit laboured in terms of they don't seem to be as fast in those transitions. And yeah, there's definitely something up with with Firmino that's been going on a while. His form has been kind of he hasn't played consistently well for for about eighteen months now. He's had little periods within that, but you know he hasn't had a period of of seven, eight, nine good games in a row for for some time. Um, Salah looks. Mm, he, he looks not right to me. I don't know, you know, there's been speculation about whether his head's turned and whether he feels, having kind of won the league and won the Champions League at Liverpool, there's a challenge in Spain that might be enticing to him. I don't know. It's been speculated on by the press, but he, he doesn't look right at the moment. And and similarly, Mane, I think Mane looks tired to me. I, I don't know if he's just played too much football. He looks like he needs a break. Um you know, and, and and it's difficult to do that, as as you've said, Dan, when when Jota's not available, because the whole reason for signing him was the lack of depth along that forward line. And and what are we uh, going to do? Bring Divacarigi on? Well, well, exactly. You, you're either in the situation where you have to play Chamberlain up as a winger, which is not where it doesn't um, work. Klopp wants to play him, and he's tried it, and he doesn't think it works in Liverpool's system. Or or you've got to play Origi. So um, you know they're not great choices are they at the moment and uh, it it's a worry for Liverpool because I, I do think there's, some, there's you can see watching them play that some of that belief that we will just smother you until we score a goal that they've that they've played with for sort of three seasons really has, has definitely dissipated and they, they aren't quite pressing with that same belief that 
if we just do this, we'll smother you until we score a goal because we'll create so much pressure on you that you will create a chance for us by making a mistake. You, you know what I mean? That, that There was that belief with them before that even if we're not the most creative, expansive, inventive, we will force you to make chances for us because we're just going to smother you. And at the moment, you're not seeing that in the way they're playing. I've, I've seen teams just have to kick the ball out for us to win because yeah, our pressure exactly. is so ferocious. Yeah. Like, oh, well, let's just put it in the back row of the stand and, and deal with it from there. It, it, I, you're right, we, we don't have that same intent. I think maybe yesterday the decision to not be completely harassing was tactical because we don't want to be having Rashford and Martial running at Henderson and Fabinho. We don't want to be getting Rashford in behind Trent. You know, I, I think that was possibly a tactical decision yesterday, but in general, yeah, I, I agree. We should be crushing the life out of West Brom. Um, I mean, don't, no disrespect to them, they, they had a great result over the weekend, which we'll come on to later. But um, yeah, the, the, the intensity is not there. And I think, I, I, as you know, Paul, this is something I've been complaining about for a while now. These lads have been playing too much football, not just because of the way the season's been organised, but because Liverpool have not had a sufficient squad. And I think that might be now catching up with the front three, I, I think. I think you, you might be right about there's just a, a tiredness. Um, I don't know if, if, if Mo Salah's had his head turned, but um, I, I do know that Barcelona and Real Madrid are going to have to take out a rather big loan if they want to afford Mo Salah, uh, who's got, got a long enough left on his contract for us to not have to worry about it just yet. Well, they've never had problems before getting the Spanish banks to look the other way when they're bankrupt and want to buy players, Dan. So, um, you know, there's uh, there's no guarantees. But, yeah, I, it, I I don't know what it is with Salah. If it's not that, um, that his head's been turned, then his performances are almost at a level now where I've described them as concerning. I'm, I'm sort of less concerned on, on Mane. I think he looks like he needs a bit of a break. He's played a lot. I, I, I don't think there's anything sort of that looks off with him. He just isn't quite playing with the same spark. The other two, there's whether it's confidence or whether it's drive, there's, there's something just that looks a bit off to me. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But if, if we kind of um, stop talking about Liverpool, please. Can <laughs> um, <laughs> K- it was practically 12 months since the um, the famous Mo Salah breakaway 2-0 uh, win in a, a game which United created very little. You must be happy with how far they've they've come in twelve months because they, they did look a different proposition. Yeah, absolutely. We you know we do, and I think I think you know we we are you know based on how we've been playing, which is uh, you know obviously great great to see, and you know credit to the manager and the and the players who who have come under a lot of stick. Um, I think you know I think that's why actually there is a bit of that feeling of you know what 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 could have been yesterday that maybe you know we could have given it a bit more of a a bit more of a go and we might have might have you know really got something um rather than just coming away with a point so i think but i think that's a good thing that we're going into that game because i do remember watching that game a year ago and like it just felt like like the games where when in united in the heyday where you you comfortably win without getting out of second gear and that's what it felt like a year ago and just like even though the gate even though the score line wasn't that high it 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 felt like uh, like a five nil just because we were just never in it. You know, Liverpool just comfortably kept us at arm's length the whole game. So it's it's good to see progress from there. Um, and like I say, to come away from that and think, oh, you know, annoyed we didn't go for it a bit more. I think says a lot it's how far we've come. Um, whether we can, you know, maintain it through the rest of the season, 
have absolutely no idea. We'll wait and see. Um, we can still look and feel a bit like a Jekyll and Hyde side at, at times, but we, we've got this you know run come together now um, of, of wins un, underpinned by away form. Um, we've you know broken records about you know the amount of away games we've won. Um, so yeah, we'll just, we'll just have to wait and see. But it's 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 a great turnaround, and I think it, it shows us obviously a bit more belief because I think the problem we had before there were problems with ability, but I think we we were really fragile mentally. Um, it was I think one of the things that Mourinho really picked up on. But his his way of dealing with it is to just ridicule people in the press or sign the Man United. Un- unsurprisingly, that just makes a whole squad of people united in hatred against you. So Ole has not taken that approach, you know, unsurprisingly, because well, obviously it's not in his nature generally, but no. obviously realised that's completely outdated and ridiculous way of trying to manage top professional athletes. So he's <laughs> But he's had to do a job to rebuild that confidence. It doesn't just appear overnight. Um, but I think what we've seen since the post-lockdown, you know, in the, the spring-summer end of the season... Um, and now that we've sort of, you know, got got going this season is, you know, clearly, you know, there has been progress made um, in, you know, in how we've kind of worked, you know, away from the 90 minutes, you know, sort of on the training ground or wherever it is in team talks and so on. Um, you know, clearly him and his, his coaches have helped to build that back up. And like, like I say, players like, you know, Luke Shaw uh, seem, you know, almost almost transformed, you know. Um, which, you know, and, and Harry Maguire as well, you know, we were talking about him not so long ago, you know, looks a lot more stable and solid um, than, you know, than he did at the start of the season. So clearly some progress has been made there, um, which is great. You know, whether it can be sustained, don't know, but certainly enjoying seeing us back to winning ways and back at the top of the table, which is, you know, if you said that to me in September, I would have laughed because <laughs> it's just particularly with the start we had, it was dreadful, you know, when we were losing 6-1 at home to Tottenham, if you'd said we'd be top in January, you know, I wonder what odds you would have got at that stage. Um, so, yeah, certainly can't complain. We're in a very good place. Um, just enjoying enjoying watching us play, which is nice because it's not been often in the post-Fergie years have been able to say that because we have played some pretty poor football um, so if nothing else, yeah, to just be able to enjoy watching us is uh, is, is is fine for now. Um, if we can end the season with a with a trophy, great. Um, but yeah, just just happy that we're sort of back at the the right end of the table and and there sort of on on merit. I thought the um you know that United did create two half decent chances in that last sort of twenty minutes or so. The one that Fernandez kind of ball coming across and he sort of tried to slide it, I think, under Alisson and Alisson made the save with his foot. And then obviously the chance for, um, for Pogba where they, they talked on the commentary about going either side. I think Pogba should have just gone high. I think if he hits that into the roof of the net, I don't think Alisson can save it. Um, he almost kind of, his technique was too perfect. He kind of got over the ball, classic body shape, struck it really well, and it just ended up going straight at Allison. And I think if he'd almost kind of leant back a little bit and fired that into the roof of the net, I, I don't think I don't think Allison would have been able to get there. Um, what a, what a so, goalkeeper he is, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought the save from Fernandez probably didn't get enough credit to, because he came very quickly at him. Down quick. Um, yeah, and he, he's, he's, you know, he does get his, his body in, in fantastic positions to, to make saves. And like all the great goalkeepers, he uses every part of his body to make saves as well. It, it, you know, um, that was a big moment. I, I thought the, the Pogba one was a more comfortable save. I just thought Pogba, if anything, hit it too well. Um, I think, yeah, United have got reasons to feel far better. Um, I still, at times, worry about whether that 
sort of back end of the team is going to hold up. But I think when you look at if they can find a way of fitting the likes of Marshall and Rashford and Pogba and Fernandez in the same team in a cohesive unit, there's no doubt about the quality that those four individuals possess. And they can almost win you any game. If you can just get the other, uh, you know, the, the other seven almost, the goalkeeper and the other six, to, to be a, a really nice, solid foundation um, and to control the tempo of the game, then that four in the in the final third should have the quality to to win almost any match. Um, it's just making making a system work that, that that allows them to all do that. And I think when Ole has has kind of got it right, they've they've looked much much better. Um, and at the same time, to to an extent, the emphasis was on Liverpool to win that game yesterday. It was. And Manchester United will come away from that thinking, well, we're three points clear of the champions at the top of the league. Now, I know both teams will be looking over their shoulder at, at the uh, at the other side of Manchester, and that's understandable because they, they've really hit their straps. But um, Man United won't be coming away from that, even though I completely understand what Khan's saying about is it a chance missed. I don't think United will come away from that game thinking, ugh, more draw a Liverpool. I think they'll come away thinking... You know, we went there and, and didn't look out of place. And, you know, it, 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 there's a long way to go in this title race. I, I think it is a three-horse race. I know people are talking about Leicester and, and you know, all the teams that are up there. I think it will come down to Liverpool and the two Manchester clubs. Um, and I think for United to just be halfway through the season in the position where we're saying that is a big jump from where they were 12 months ago. I don't think Liverpool yeah. are going to going to retain the title at the moment. I think we need to sign a centre half, and that doesn't look like it's going to happen. And I'm not concerned about the number of goals we're conceding because we're not conceding very many. The problem we've got is that we don't have a centre half who isn't a midfielder who can get a ball to feet. We've got no one who can make a sharp pass twenty yards to feet and you know like start an attack quickly, get people to turn. Because that's what Matip is very good at. The last goal we scored, which feels like years ago now, when it was technically speaking a year ago, um, when Matip fizzed it into Mane, Mane turned and scored a lovely goal against West Brom. Um, unless we get in a centre half who can improve our distribution at, at, at the back, I, I think it's I think it's a one horse race. Because Manchester City to me look very ominous, and I'm not taking anything away from Manchester United. Well, nothing more than I normally would. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think that Manchester City are going through the gears, and I think they have gears that uh, United don't. And yeah, I think I think that's right, Dan. Manchester City have got. I think Manchester City have got gears that Liverpool don't. Uh, yes, they do. Um, yeah, they do at the moment. I, I, I think I think Liverpool last season sort of played the whole season in fourth gear. Um, and I think Manchester City played some games in fifth gear, but too many games in second and third gear. And that's why Liverpool won the league. Liverpool were relentless and they, they kept that same focus and, and pace of their game the whole time. And Man City fluctuated. I think when Manchester City hit their straps and, you know, we saw it, didn't we, the, when we talked about the, the 45 minutes they had at Chelsea the other week. And that seems to me to have been the moment where a, a switch just flicked and they went from, plodding along a little bit to, okay, Manchester City are serious now. Um, and yeah, they, they I mean, made short work of Crystal Palace, didn't they, last night? I've, I've watched the highlights of that today. And um, 
I mean, if Roy Hodgson had got a white flag, I think he'd have been waving it pretty early in that game. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't see all of it, but yeah, it's fair to say but, but they seem it? to win it. And certainly, I watched us make quite hard work of playing Crystal Palace on Thursday night. So um, to, to see Manchester City sort of swat them away like an irritating fly was um, was pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, and they've, and they've beaten us. So what does that say? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, just to pick up on something you did mention when you said other, other other teams up there, Paul, you can't bring yourself to say Tottenham Hotspur. Um, <laughs> cause I know that's who you meant. But uh, well, I'm, I not, I'm think- not. I'm not sure. I see Tottenham in a title race. I, I, you know, I think they they had that point where I sort of was open to that possibility, and then they went and laid that egg in the week before before Christmas, where they sort of lost three games or you know one draw and two defeats in in a row, and I, I just I still don't think that they've got that. Well, I don't know. I I, I don't know if you, they've got that reliability. They've still got a little bit of the Tottenham Hotspur about them that you just can't trust them not to screw it up somehow. Um, yeah, it was I, interesting, wasn't it? Because Pochettino has already won a trophy once he's extricated himself from the ability to Tottenham it. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I noticed that. What well, we said, didn't we? we? Said we'll come back and see if he wins. Um, and yes, I heard heard that he'd uh, managed to secure that one. Um, but uh, but no, I think I think you're right. I don't think they have got that that overall quality and like the the gears. You know, as we were just talking about. You know, as you were saying with City. But all, all I would say is try telling Jose Mourinho he's not in a title race. Right? He'll look he'll look at that table and he'll think it's there for the taking because the title is there for the taking this season. Um, but ultimately, I don't think I, I don't think Spurs will quite have the legs for it and I think yeah you're right it probably is that you know that three horse race and at the, the moment um, yeah you'd say maybe City are the ones positioning the pieces <laughs> to go into the second half of the season all guns blazing but uh, it'll certainly yeah assuming assuming you know so far the circuit break hasn't happened assuming we are going to carry on I mean it's certainly set up to be a, a fascinating second half of the season it's been very you know let's face it, it hasn't been this open for for years, so it's 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 it is exciting from that perspective. The table's still very tight. I mean, it, you know, we'll we'll move on and talk about other things, but the table's the table's very tight, top to bottom, really. I, yeah, you know, the the gap still between kind of I think Villa are in tenth. Uh, they're eleven points behind Manchester United, but they've got three games in hand. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, okay, West Ham are ninth. They're uh, they're eight points behind Manchester United. Same games. It, we, we've had years where third is eight points behind or second is eight points behind. And we're talking about ninth being eight points behind. It's definitely open. I think a lot of the games we've talked about it before, not having fans. I'm watching some strange games of football that frankly aren't that entertaining. Um, and and it, it, what it is meaning is that the end of the season, as Carl's just said, sets up really nicely because eventually teams are going to realise they've got a chance to go for the league title or go for European places and they're going to have to start kind of risking it a little bit more and it yeah it, 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 we could see some really good games down the stretch and, and hopefully better than the one I watched yesterday well that won't be too hard um, Paul me and Khan have talked a lot I'm going to um, hand over to you um, what's Mesut, Mesut Ozil's legacy at Arsenal because I watched a, a video on Sky Sports News before because even when I complain about the standard of football, I've got to have football on all of the time. Um, and uh, his start to his Arsenal career was very impressive. He scored some lovely goals, set up some lovely goals. And then it all went uh, a bit peaked on. What, what, what are your feelings towards him? I know you're not going to be too displeased to see him off the books. 
Yeah, I think at this point it, it kind of had to happen. The line in the sand had been drawn. There was no way back from Ezra Ozil at Arsenal, and it was better for all parties concerned, including including Ozil himself, for him to go. I understand he has come to some sort of arrangement with the club in terms of paying off the end of his contract. I'm, I haven't read into what the exact details are. I don't know if they're available yet, but it seems that he hasn't insisted on upfront payment of his £7 million loyalty bonus. Um, so uh, he will, you know, he he's kind of made some concessions himself to make a move happen and to go and play some football. And I think it, you have to respect him for that uh, because he could have just sat it out till the end of the season if he wanted to, um, not playing and just training and then going home. Uh, I think what's his legacy at Arsenal, I was reflecting earlier, Dan, I think I was on a, this is how long ago Meza Ozil signed for Arsenal. Um, I was on a train to go to Brussels to negotiate, um, you know, when that referendum thing hasn't happened yet. Uh, so that's how long ago Mesut signed for, for, for Arsenal. Um, he did have a good start to his career. I think that first season under Wenger, he had a good year. He had a good second half of the season. Um, when he, a couple of years after that, when he, he missed some time in the first half with injury and he had a really good run in one year. Um, but, but I think, his Arsenal career really was fits and starts. That is the conclusion that you come to. It, it was fits and starts. He never really became that that cornerstone that Arsenal were going to build around in the way that I think they would have hoped when they signed him. He was fantastic for Germany in those in those international tournaments at the turn of the last decade. You know, we think about. 2010 World Cup where he's sprinting away from Gareth Barry, and it, it looked like Gareth. Uh, Gareth Barry was running in treacle. Um, which was normal, you know, to be fair. Which, which is normal, to be fair. He was never the quickest. Uh, and nor was Ozil, so that shows how slow Barry is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he had some great international tournaments for Germany. He was fantastic for Real Madrid. Okay, in a great team. He came to Arsenal with really high expectations, and sporadically we saw what a great player he was. But ultimately, he never did it consistently. Um, and, and that was a shame because he, he's got supreme talent. I think there is an extent to which it's on Meza Ozil. Um, at times, he was lazy. At times, he didn't work hard enough. At times, he didn't look as though he cared enough. Um, whether he did or not, I don't know. Uh, only he can answer that question. Only he can tell us whether whether he really put everything he was capable of into it and whether it was just a confidence and a form thing. But he didn't look like that from the outside. You know, I've been at games, I've seen him walking. Um, but also there are other elements to which it's not Meza Ozil's fault. You know, it is not Meza Ozil's fault that Arsenal made a silly decision on the extended contract because they felt under pressure that Sanchez was, was gone. And they didn't think that they could lose both of them within a six-month period. Um, that's not on Meza Ozil. That's on the club. It isn't Meza Ozil's fault that in the last couple of seasons of Arsene Wenger, he couldn't work out what system he wanted to play and, and was playing Ozil wide on the left-hand side. That's not Meza Ozil's fault. I think we all know um, Meza Ozil is not a left-winger. Uh, Meza Ozil's number 10. Exactly. Everybody knows that. That's not his fault. Um it isn't his fault that uh, you know that what happened after that is kind of the the tactics of football changed to such an extent that you look at teams like Liverpool now and you look at Manchester City. Who's Liverpool's number ten? Who's Manchester City's number ten? They don't really play with one. That they play with with midfield players who who 
are much more box to box and much more energy. They don't just sit behind the front, you know, the front man. Uh, you watch Manchester City play, and at any one minute, it might be Bernardo Silva, it might be Phil Foden, it might be De Bruyne. It, it could be anyone who's in that little pocket behind the the centre forward. Um, the same with Liverpool. They don't play with someone really in that number 10 position, haven't since they sold Coutinho for the most part. So I think modern football strategy moved against Meza Ozil, which again, that, that's not his fault. Um, but the fact that he's now failed to get on with both Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta in a way that made him a kind of asset to the team again, uh, he has to take some responsibility for it. He had one of his best games for Arsenal early in that Emery reign when we beat Leicester 3-1 at home at the Emirates, and he was magnificent that night. Um, so he could turn it on, but he couldn't develop relationships and trust with two consecutive managers. I think the final straw, the straw that broke the camel's back was the incident over the uh, the pay cut in the summer when Arsenal asked the players to take a pay cut. Now, again, you might say, well, Arsenal signed that contract with him and he's entitled to say, no, 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 I want you to pay me the number you signed up to pay me. Um but I think it was the message it sent to Mikel Arteta when every other player in the squad agreed to it. His, the message it sent to Mikel Arteta was, this guy's not all in. And, and we've talked about it before with Arsenal. The, the one thing that you know about Arteta in the year that he's been in charge is he's going to do it his way and you're either on board or you're not. Um, so it, it, it's sad that it, it never quite happened in the way that we might have hoped. Um, I'm glad to have seen him play for Arsenal. I still think some games that he's played for us where he's done incredible things. He's a supremely talented footballer. Great fun to watch. Sorry that in the long term it didn't work out. Um, and I hope I hope he has a sort of nice Indian summer to his career uh, in Turkey and, and with Fenerbahce because I, I think, you know, not just with Arsenal, but with Germany and those World Cups and, and with Real Madrid and Spain, he's a player I always thought was, was a class act. No, no late swoop for Manchester United, Can You like, you like, a, uh, like an Arthur no, play I, I on think, his way I, <laughs> I think we're fairly well stocked in, uh, in, that, in that department, to be fair. We, we've signed number 10s who can't get a kick this season, so I don't think we need another one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's a strange one because I've, I've never known a player, or he's certainly one of the players who's the, probably the most divisive of the last 10 years. You know, even at his pomp when he was, you know, playing really well, um, you know, he still got sort of attacked for being, you know, lazy and walking and whatever. And people just one of those players that could never seem to keep everyone happy. Um, but even though, you know, again, the statistics and just general performances you can look at and you can see that he, you know, in his pomp, he was, you know, a really, really good player. And, you know, you look at where, you know, the clubs he's played for and what he's won um, sort of backs that up. But it's 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 always a shame when things end on on these kind of, protracted sour notes that that's obviously happened um at arsenal but yeah i think certainly they've reached the right conclusion you know probably a maybe a year or two too late but at least it's been done and you can move on um you know we had ironically a mini situation you know with obviously the you know the other player you mentioned there with sanchez which turned out to be a complete disaster and then we, we've had to go through a similar process with him that you've you sort of gone through with Ozil. So I think both clubs are both best shots of both players. Um, but 
Yeah, I think that's, you know, a really balanced summary there, Paul. And, you know, I think probably probably a bit more magnanimous than some Arsenal fans would give him in all honesty. But I think uh, I think you've kind of hit the right the right notes there, to be honest with you, because, uh, yeah, I think it's always nice to try and remember the good times uh, with players, because I think sometimes there is that there is that inevitable decline for whatever reason. But I think, you know, just try try and remember the good times, thank them for it, send them on the way. And I think it is worth saying, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm right. We hadn't won a trophy for goodness knows how many years. Was it nine years when, when Ozil signed? And we've won four while he's been here. Now, he didn't play in the, certainly didn't play in the last final. I can't remember the cha- the first Chelsea final, whether he played in that. I'd have to, I'd have to double check. But um, he did join a team that was in a big trophy drought and he was part of the squad that ended that trophy drought. So, you know, you can kind of... Um, you can see that one way or the other, really, but but it's probably just worth a mention. Yeah, uh, fantastic footballer. Um, the league has probably been a worse place for him not being in it because he is capable of doing that little bit of something. Um, and if we're talking about free transfers, I can think of a certain Spanish goalkeeper who might be eligible. <laughs> but uh, we, we won't go down, we won't go down that path. Another team I wanted to talk about this week are Wolves. Um, I remember you saying in our uh, pre-season preview, Paul, that Wolves needed to learn whether to stick or twist, and they seem to have gone in the complete opposite direction. Every time I've seen them this season, um, apart from when they ran riot at, um, at Arsenal when uh, when him and Eth was injured, um, you know it, it, they seem short of goals, and uh, they got they fell behind to a West Brom penalty, got themselves in front, and then second half completely let the game get away from them. I, I think Wolves have got problems. I think um, they, they look out of form defensively. Yeah, I agree, Dan. I'll just clarify that Ozil did play in three finals for us. So, you know, again, in terms of remembering the good times, as Colin said, um, he did join a team that had won for nine years and, and helped win three of the, the four FA Cups. Yeah, on Wolves, I think you're right. Um to me, what's gone at Wolves is that disciplined shape that they kind of become renowned for, really. When you when you, we've watched them in the couple of years since they've been back in the Premier League with with uh, with Nuno, they've been really disciplined and they haven't always been free flowing and scored lots of goals. They had Jimenez, who's a good target man and provides them with a platform to play. They've got Traore, who's a, a nightmare when he's on his game. Obviously, they had Jota as well at, at, at one point, and they've got good midfield players but they were never a free-flowing creative side but you could always be guaranteed they'd have a shape they'd have a structure they'd defend well they wouldn't let lots of goals in so if they scored one there was a chance they were getting something out of the game and at the moment defensively it's gone to pot the goalkeeper's struggling for me um and i just think they look like a team that again as I hate this, you know, managers kind of taking them as far as he can because he hasn't taken Wolves as far as he can. You know, he's finished mid-table a couple of times. That's that's not taking it as far as he, he can. I know it's great for Wolves, but I, I do wonder if there's a bit of a feeling that the message has started to get a bit stale. Um, there's been rumours in the press as well, haven't there, about Nuno's agent kind of talking him up for other jobs, uh, which is interesting because his agent's also involved in trying to bring players into Wolves. <laughs> so, uh, uh, of course. You know, yeah, exactly. There's, there's some sort of conflicts there that just feel a bit to me, and maybe I'm too old school, a bit uncomfortable. But I wonder if there's a feeling 
uh, at Wolves that a divorce between the club and the manager is inevitable, if not during this season, then at the end of it. Um, and and that will be a, a tricky transition for Wolves because he's done a great job getting him into the Premier League and then making them a really established Premier League team for the first time in the you know in the Premier League era. Wolves are not just up, but they they're up and they're competitive. Um, I, I just don't see it at the moment. They they look like a team that's lost some of its belief again. Confidence is a big thing. Interesting that with no fans in the stands. I, Clubs do seem to be getting into these sort of little ruts. You know, we saw Arsenal go well seven games without a win. Liverpool, Liverpool definitely have, have definitely hit one at the moment. Wolves are in one. It's almost as though they don't have that energy that you're in a rut. You play a home game and the crowd get you at it. Without that energy, it seems like confidence almost drains even quicker than it normally does. And uh, they they need a result. Fast wolves, not because I'm I'm worried about them getting relegated. They'll they'll have too many good players, but to just avoid their the end of their season becoming a bit acrimonious, uh, they need a result quickly. Yeah, they're a, they're a strange one. They do seem to be in that you know that that mid table lull. Um, you know they're obviously you know they're not in any trouble. You know in any real trouble. And like you say, they've been a pretty solid addition the Premier League since they've come up and, you know, a, a team most people have enjoyed watching. And I think I think what's interesting that it's happened this season is, um, you know, with it, with it being a bit more wide open, you'd think normally this would be exactly the kind of scenario that Wolves would relish, that they would be one of those clubs thinking, you know, like you were saying, maybe, maybe not win the league, but, you know, really push for, you know, not just Europe, but even try and push for a top four, you know, on, on the past couple of seasons, you wouldn't put it past them with it being as open as it is now to one of those teams trying to do that. But they actually seem to have, completely missed the boat and, and regressed um from that which is which is really strange um and yeah I, I you know i don't i don't have the answer to what it is whether whether it is just a um you like say a fresh a fresh coach you know a fresh kind of mind um behind the scenes um I, I, it's, it's hard to say um but whether whether it is like I say whether nuno's sort of starting to think of What's his next challenge? Maybe I, I'm not mm. sure. Maybe, maybe he does feel that with the resources and whatever that that they're going to be a sort of you know seventh, eighth, ninth club, and that's sort of you know he maybe he feels that he's done his job by making them stable, and it's up to someone else to continue it on. Um, and maybe he has got other ambitions and other you know other other ideas. Um, My yeah, only perhaps. response to that con would be to say, well, great, but at the moment you're not seventh, eighth, or ninth; you're thirteenth or whatever they are, <laughs> and and you know, like pull yeah. your finger out, get them back to seventh or eighth or ninth, and then if you want to walk away in the summer, fair enough. Um, indeed, I thought, I th- and it, look, it, it's easy to point fingers at the manager, and we say that on this on this podcast all the time. It, it's easy to point fingers at the manager. You have to look at the players as well. I just thought West Brom looked hungrier on Saturday morning. Well, you know, lunchtime Saturday. I just thought West Brom looked hungrier. They looked more desperate, which they undoubtedly are. Um, but they played with that that urgency and that desperation about them, and and Wolves looked like they were going through the motions. Conacordia, the nightmare. He's not been good this season, Conor Cody, and I think he's been a real success story for Wolves, not just in the in the Premier League, but when they were in the Championship as well. And you think they sort of converted him from a sort of holding midfield player when he arrived there into a centre-half who was the best centre-half in the Championship and then has had two really good seasons in the Premier League. But at the moment, he, he I mean, he, he can't kick a ball, frankly. <laughs> he, he, he looks that out of form 
that everything's sort of fallen apart for him. And and, and I, I think it's almost indicative of Wolves' decline. You could almost just say, well, here's Connor Cody two years ago. Here's Connor Cody last year. Here's Connor Cody this year. And here are Wolves. It's it sort of the, the correlation in, in his performance and the club's performances have, um, has been pretty, pretty noticeable. Do, do, do you think there's an element in, um, in the sort of the player's psychology as well, though, around that sort of, you know, the, the seventh, eighth, ninth point that even at their best, there was almost that, you know, that that glass. And this always comes back to sort of money and the, the big mm. six. But there's that glass ceiling, right, that we, that we all know is there. And is, is there maybe just a, a point where they think, well, you know, what? we've played brilliantly and got all these plaudits, but we still haven't finished um, you know, any any higher? And do, do you think that? And whilst yes, you could say, well, give yourselves, you know, a kick up the bomb because you you're currently uh, further down than you normally are. But is the response to that maybe from the players' perspective? Um, well, when whenever we are playing really well, you know, we're still not in with a chance. Um, and maybe it's just kind of come that this season's come at the wrong time for them. That actually now would be a really good time to be galvanised. But for some reason, they've sort of petered out in the wrong direction. And I don't know if maybe. You know, do they just need rather than even just a manager change? Maybe they don't need that. Do they need just some 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 fresh blood in the squad? Maybe just to sort of almost have a bit of a turnover there, because mm. um, it has been largely the same group of players. I think um, I know. I know. I know that you know. Sort of what's it's Mendes, isn't it? Who's the the agent, the, agent. the head honcho slash officially unofficially whatever his role is. You know, he's sort of pulling those strings. But but the core team. Um, has you know obviously I know you know they lost Jota to, to Liverpool but the, the and they lost that team. they lost Doherty to Spurs as well didn't mm, they? of course they were yeah. the two the, the the majority of the side is the same you're right yeah so I don't know if there is just a bit of that sort of psychological complacency that's that's just come in um, but like I say it's come in at a bad time because now would be a time to look up the ta- you know be to look up the table um, so it's it's a bit of a shame for them in that respect but there you go I, I wonder a little bit and, and I know it, it has been the same side so this is maybe a slightly unfair criticism I, I wonder a little bit if they need a couple of now, I don't want to sound like Tony Pulis, these foreign lads from abroad. <laughs> but but I, I wonder a little bit. I don't know where else Tony Pulis thinks the foreign lads come from. Um, probably. Other than abroad. But uh, I, I wonder if they need a couple of slightly more kind of long-serving Premier League types in there who, who have just... I don't know. I, I feel as though at the moment they, they need someone who's going to kind of roll their sleeves up a little bit and give them a bit more of a of an urgency in their play. And I look at teams like Southampton and I, I, I go on about James Ward-Prowse a lot, but I think he's a really underrated player. He's really important to the way that Southampton team works. I think you look at some of the players Leicester have still got in and amongst it there who were were more tried and tested in the Premier League. West Ham have got a few, even though you know they they've freshened their squad up. And I I just wonder if Wolves kind of while the going was good, uh, got a team that was together and and united. And I just wonder, given that they're all Mendes clients who are half thinking about their next move, whether as soon as the cracks start to appear, everyone starts thinking a bit about me and less about we. Yeah, very very true that. Um, but yeah, j- just on West Brom, we, we, we've uh, we've been quite critical of on this podcast at times. Um, I don't like Sam Allardyce um, at all, but uh, yeah, they, they they wanted it more, Paul. You're right. They they wanted to win that game more. And is that the kind of performance that Wolves throw in in front of fans? I don't think so. 
maybe not. And I, I think the question we might want to ask is, is that the sort of performance that can turn West Ham's, uh, West Brom's season around? They're, they're at West Ham tomorrow, I think. Um, and, and that's the question for me is, was that such a, in a derby, the way they won it, was that such a kind of battling display that it's kind of the catalyst? We've seen Sam Allardyce do this before. And they get that one win in a game you don't expect. And then all of a sudden the belief returns and he will have them so fired up in that dressing room tomorrow, especially going back to one of these former clubs against West Ham. Where it didn't end well. Where it didn't end great, you know, the bitterness and recriminations at the end of his time there. If if West Brom get a result tomorrow, I, I, I think the chances then of, of West Brom staying up are significantly increased. It was a great result on, on the weekend. If they let that fall away and, and get beat at, at West Ham, it's kind of, oh, well, that that's all, almost counts for nothing. But if they go and get a result on Tuesday night and then they've stacked through a couple of results together, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they have a bit of a run. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely, yeah. Um, it does. You do get the feeling that um, Sheffield United are still gone um, and it, West Brom do need that run, and then ab- above it, I think Brighton took a huge stride forward uh, with a, a really good win at Leeds. A win, uh, I watched that game. A win they were very good value for. They defended really well. Um, I was impressed with my little pet project Ben White, who um, f- for me should be top of Jurgen's list. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good win for Brighton, and, and you're right, a necessary win. Um, I don't know what was going on earlier in the season between Graham Potter and Neil Mopay. Um, and Neil Mopay is a horrible little, you know, annoyance of a player. And I wouldn't be surprised if Graham Potter was just annoyed with him. There was supposedly an incident in training where he maybe got into a scuffle with another player. But Brighton are a team who don't have many goal scorers. The goal scorer, so he has to play for me. Um, and it. It, you know, a goal in a one-nil win that was vital, and it just keeps it just keeps Leeds from properly escaping it as well. You know, I, I think Leeds and Palace and Wolves are probably the three teams where I look at and go, you know, you've got enough, and, and Arsenal just above that. I think all those teams have have got enough to to not really be worried, but um, none of them can afford to go six, seven games without a win because they'll get dragged into it. And I think Brighton just kept themselves in touch enough with that little group. They, are, they do have to be slightly careful because they, they've played more games than everyone around them. Brighton have played 19, got 17 points. Um, West Brom have got a game in hand on that or on 11. Fulham, Burnley and Newcastle have all got two games in hand on Brighton. So it was a big win and an important win for them uh, at Leeds. But they still need to, to put some wins together because the teams around them, if they can pick up a few points, could very quickly put Brighton back in the mire. Yep, agreed. Um, we've kind of talked a lot about a, a smaller array of subjects here. Um, is there anything else that you guys wanted to, to catch up on? I don't think so, Dan. There was nothing else um, particularly from, from me other than to reflect on the fact that I think it was one of the first podcasts of the season I said I thought Wayne Rooney would be the next Derby manager. You did. You and did. He, is, he is now officially the Derby manager. And they lost 1-0 at home to Rotherham, so going well. <laughs> well, you, you've willed that to happen, Paul, through this <laughs> subliminal messaging on this podcast for six months. You, um, I've not only, 
not only got him hired, but I've got him to struggle. Well, I was just going to say, like, if Paul got him hired, it would be me who's willing him to struggle because I think he's a potato-headed buffoon. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he goes. Um, obviously, young British managers um, catch the eye, and and Derby is kind of getting a bit of a reputation as a, as a place to go. Uh, I know Stephen Gerrard was was linked with the job when um, when Frank Lampard took the Chelsea job, and. Um, yeah, and, and Rooney's taking over there, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes. But they, they are in a lot of trouble, Derby. Actually, they are. There's at the moment, um, it, it's all there's a bottom four there in that championship that is at risk of getting cut adrift with with Wednesday and Rotherham and Derby and and obviously Wickham. I think we could have all predicted Wickham would go down at the start. It's crazy that Wickham are in the championship. They're having Fantastic. a great, great go of it though. Fantastic job by Gareth Ainsworth, and they are. They're, they're still giving it everything every game. They're not. You know, they haven't jacked it in, but it'd be incredible if they stayed up. Um, you know, the, the teams above that, the QPRs and the Forests and the Birminghams, I think Millwall as well are in that category, aren't they? Have, have just broken away a little bit and that bottom four needs to be careful that he doesn't get completely cut adrift because then it becomes, you know, one place available for for four teams to try and cling on. Uh, and you don't have to be a mathematician to know that four into one doesn't go. So um, if that gap gets any bigger, you start to say, okay, it's going to be three of these teams that get relegated. Yeah, and for, you never tell what you're going to get out of Nottingham Forest because they've been struggling. Yeah, they've been struggling. They've not kicked on as maybe I thought they might when, when they appointed Chris Hughes. Same, same, It yeah. was a really smart appointment. But they did have a good win at the weekend. Um, I I mean, I think if Forrest just stay the course with Chris Hughes, they'll be fine this season and he'll make them properly competitive next season. Uh, but yeah, I I think it's it's those bottom four who I really worry about. And, and it's a long time since Derby have been outside the top two divisions. A long time. I mean, I don't think I can remember Dolby playing outside the top two divisions. No, I, I, I know, I, I know, I can't. But, so you know, uh, tough times. But my, my memory's been blanked by uh, by the weekend's football. I think, or certainly the game at Anfield. Anyway, um, anything from you, Cam? Uh, no, I was going to mention about Pochettino, but we we covered that anyway, so that's that's fine. Um, I think the other the other thing I was going to say is that I did a. Um, a football themed zoom quiz uh last uh, on on friday and i finished dead last um so that you know so there you, you know now now everyone knows my uh, football football knowledge credentials <laughs> well if it was um a, a quiz entitled the best of david belly on calm i think you might well have come top of the class <laughs> Well, believe it or not, that was one of the few questions I got right. There was a question on David Bellion. <laughs> there was an obscure footballers round. Um, right. He was pretty not... obscure. I'm just not sure he was a footballer. <laughs> yeah, well, indeed. indeed. Um, it's one of those quizzes. You two would have probably got every single one right, but it was just lost on me. Um, yeah, I was I was hopeless. Well, um, it, so there you go. It reminds me, it reminds me, me and Paul... Um, I'm, I'm, uh, Joanne and a, a lad called Dave Swanson. Um, we, we, we actually had a, a pub quiz team. We, we used to have every Wednesday, didn't we, Paul? 
and it was yeah it was, Wednesday Sun Hotel Wednesday, Preston the Sun Hotel in Preston yeah free uh, sandwiches oh the sandwiches were, were well worth the uh, the admission alone um, get there or miss out yeah um, <laughs> that was where I watched Liverpool not, when when the Champions not, yeah yeah. I was going to say, normally on a Champions League Wednesday, when, when all the Champions League games used to be on a Wednesday, when we didn't need Champions League football to last seven nights of the week. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it used to be, as soon as the game finished at like 9.30, because we were all 7.45 kickoffs as well. Remember that when we used to be okay with one kickoff time? <laughs> um, they all kicked off at 7.45, finished at 9.30. Then the quiz would start. 10 o'clock, the sandwiches would come out. Um, I mean, I think we've probably paid for those sandwiches multiple times, or certainly I did, Dan. I know you don't drink, but <laughs> I had enough pints of Guinness to cover those sandwiches um, probably 15 times over. Well, th- th- <laughs> this is football related. We're not just—it's not just the Paul and Dan Uclan reminisce podcast. Um, I remember there was a team in of um, of locals, and they weren't very good. They didn't pretend they were very good, and like one of the questions was. Um, by the, the quiz mistress Paul, if you remember her, yeah, I remember her. Um, was who is the Arsenal manager? And obviously, uh, we, we we got that right. Um, it was Arsene Wenger, and uh, the team whose answers we were marking answered Arsene Vinger, v- vinegar, Arsene Vinegar. <laughs> um, to which Paul said, "I'm not accepting that. I'm just put a big X next to it." <laughs> Yeah, they were the days. Um, um, the, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we've not managed to infuse you with enough knowledge, Con, that you were able to ace <laughs> your football quiz. Um, maybe you need to hang around with Dan and I more. Clearly, we need to. Yeah, I say we need to do this twice a week. I think. <laughs> well, I'll make the time if you do, Cam. Um, one um, one thing I, want, I wanted to mention actually, which we haven't, is uh, best wishes to Steve Cottrell, uh, who's obviously had a quite a bad dose of, of COVID. Um, he's been in intensive care, so uh, best of wish to him. Best of wishes to yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. I think the news this morning seemed to suggest he was he was doing a bit better, which is which is obviously very encouraging. But I completely agree, Dan. Um, best wishes to Steve Cottrell and uh, hope, for a, hope for a recovery. Yeah, hopefully he'll be uh, just fine. Um, right, well, thanks for your time, gents, as always. It's been fun. Um, I'd like to remind you all that the Big Football Podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, uh, Amazon Music, uh, you name it, we've got it. Um, so please give us a subscribe and, and, and tell your friends give, um, to, to give us a like and give us a listen. And we'll be back next week with the same show, although we might need to, to help Khan ahead of his next Zoom quiz. We might need to have an extra show just for that. <laughs> um, so thanks very much, Jensen. I'll catch you all after a while. <laughs>